Hello, and welcome to another episode of In the End, a Morbidly Curious podcast. I'm your co-host, Emma Hitchcock. And I'm Tara Ingman. Tara, I don't want to record today. Oh no, why? I have a massive headache. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> why Why do you have such a terrible headache? My neighbors are doing some uh, reconstruction. And not like my neighbors like next door, but like my neighbors who share a wall with me. Oh no. So I've been listening to them hammer pretty much nonstop for like, I would say about three days now. Oh God, that's terrible. Yeah. I'm so sorry. dear podcast listeners, you were probably going to hear some hammering and or sighing and or shouting in Chinese in the background. Um, <laughs> possibly they will start listening to Call Me Maybe again today. <laughs> uh, and there's not much I can do about it uh, because they work from like 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. And there's a time difference. So we just kind of have to record now. So I apologize for any sound in yeah. the background. And if I'm kind of grumpy because that is the current Aww. state of my life. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, uh, maybe I can cheer you up a bit with a, a morbid mystery. How do you feel about Ooh. doing a morbid mystery today? I feel positively about doing a morbid mystery today. Yeah? Yes. I thought we'd do something a little bit different with this morbid mystery and do like a historical mystery instead of like a murder mystery. Even better. Less yeah. less likely to be like, I feel, potentially, fewer like <laughs> raped and murdered women. Yes. Indeed, indeed. In fact, no women at all in this story. Okay, all right, great. <laughs> only men, only dead men. <laughs> I don't know how to feel about that, but okay, all right. Well, instead of you know, yes. dead women, no, I... dead like right. But I didn't want to be like, women, yay, have, like dead men, dead, missing and dead men. You know. All right, cool. At yes. least it's a change of pace. Yes. Yeah. For sure. All right, let's do that. Okay. So, have you ever heard of Sir John Franklin? I have. But, like, usually in the context, as a name added on to, like, Scott and Shackleton. <laughs> right. So, Sir John Franklin is the leader of what is, I think, probably one of the two most famous uh, polar disasters. Right. right. Um for the British, anyway. I mean, there are lots of other disasters for explorers from other countries. But, like, the two biggest ones for the British are Franklin and Scott. Scott, of course, <clears throat> leader of the expedition to the South Pole. He and all of his polar party die on the way back, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> After Amundsen beats them to the pole by, like... A month. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Um, I've read a, a memoir from uh, Absolute Cherry Garrard, and I love it because the yeah. title of that memoir is The Worst Journey in the World. <laughs> Which, indeed, you know, apt, actually, quite apt. Indeed. Yeah, yeah, it really, it was, um, it was not a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Which I actually, I think that's his opening line. It's, it was like, Arctic Expedition is like, the best way to have a terrible time or something to that effect is like the opening line yeah. to a memoir yeah. entitled the worst journey in the world. So like, <laughs> right. <laughs> if that is one of the disasters and Franklin is the other. I cannot wait for this. This is going to be great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Shackleton's story is also um, pretty intense. I actually just read endurance for the first mm. time recently. Yeah. yeah. Um, but not, 
I mean, he gets all of his men out. So, like, not a disaster in the same sense of the word, I guess. You know? Like, <laughs> doesn't end in death. for it's them, just for sure. Psychologically but, like, <laughs> scarring. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Hardcore. <laughs> and actually, I just learned uh, reading Endurance that, like, one of the guys with Shackleton, like, one of the guys who goes, like, in the itty bitty little boat, hundreds and hundreds of miles, like, across to the island to, like, go find help. And then. Uh, hikes over the island to like get to the whaling station to like actually get help once they finally get there. Um, so one of those three guys, one of which is Shackleton, one of the other ones was actually with Scott on his Aww. polar expedition. Like obviously not one of the polar party because they all died. But like one of the guys who Scott sends home in the final like the final relief party that turns back. Um, Did not yeah, learn one his of lesson. them is with Shackleton. <laughs> like, <laughs> dude, <laughs> you have some issues, my friend. <laughs> and if you didn't before, you definitely do now. <laughs> you definitely do now. Like, got back from the mission with Scott and then, like, basically immediately, like, within a year or two, turned around and was like, Shackleton, yes, I'm on. Okay. I have, you, I've gotten all my sir. frostbitten limbs packed off. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Right, I'm ready. Let's do this. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so um, Franklin, the Franklin expedition is before Scott. So Scott dies in 1912, yeah, um, trying to find the South Pole. Well, they do get to the South Pole, but they don't make it back. Um, Succeeding in finding it, but not reporting <laughs> back. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, Franklin, though, um, a bit of... So, like, I find... Uh, polar exploration really really fascinating as you can probably already tell <laughs> apparently both and of us because it's like hey did you read that <laughs> memoir did you read this one right um, and following the Napoleonic Wars there's basically nothing for the British Navy to do anymore in peacetime so they start exploring the polar regions like both as a way to advance their own careers this is like the way that uh, they can now get promotions and things like this. And also to justify to the public continuing to pay for a Navy because everybody is like, I mean, what are these guys even doing anyway, right? <laughs> so one of the, uh, the Navy's big goals is to find the Northwest Passage. And they start doing this in the early 1800s. So basically right after the end of the Napoleonic Wars, right? The Northwest Passage, of course, is a way that was theorized to exist between um, <clears throat> between the Atlantic and the Pacific above, like to the north of Canada. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there are all of these islands right above Canada and everyone was like, there should be a way through there so that we can get from Britain and Europe to like China and Japan more quickly. Yeah. Because right. at this and not point, have to like, go around... Uh, the right. There's no yeah. Suez Canal. There's no Panama Canal. So you have to either go like all the way around Africa or all the way around South America. So like it's long and it's dangerous. These yeah. are some of like famously the most dangerous seas in the world. Right. It takes forever. So they were like, there's got to be a way to go northwest from Europe and like go above Canada and get to the Far East more quickly. 
Um, so they had made several attempts to find this, but all of these had been failures. Most of them had been total disasters. Um, but by the 1840s, most of the coastline of the mainland had been mapped and some of the islands, but like kind of piecemeal by these various expeditions and by some overland expeditions in Canada as well. So by the time Franklin leaves for his expedition, there's <clears throat> there's actually just a very small gap in the maps that's left is about 60 miles. And so like the Northwest Passage as a goal is kind of more symbolic than anything else by this point. But like nobody's really doing anything else. So like we've got let's time. make one last attempt. Let's go. <laughs> Right, like one last attempt at the passage is kind of the idea of this expedition. And actually, fun fact, the Northwest Passage, like, spoiler alert, Franklin fails. <laughs> but <laughs> as, as the initial epithet of disaster might let you know. Yeah, context. Right, <laughs> right. Um, so the, the passage is actually first sailed by Amundsen in 1903 and 1905, who is the one who beats Scott to the pole. So he's not only the first man to the South Pole, he's also the first man to sail the Northwest Passage. So that's fun. Go Amundsen. He had his shit together, apparently. He really did. And the British, like, really, really did not. (laughs) So Franklin, at the start of the expedition, he's 59. He's fought in the Navy, like, forever. Um, he was at the Battle of Trafalgar as a young, like, British officer. He actually had been to the, well, had tried to go to the Northwest Passage before. Um, in 1818, he's the second in command at a passage attempt. And in 1819, he then led an overland expedition from Hudson Bay, which is, you know, the base of, like, the fur trapping trade at the right. time, to try and map some of the Arctic coastline. And he actually managed to map just over 200 miles before he had to turn back. But his return journey is like famously a total shit show and super, super horrific. Like about half of the men die on the way back. 10 or I've also seen 11 of like 20 of them die. And the survivors had to eat, like, shoe leather and caribou shit and all sorts of, like, literally anything they could find to, like, make it back to civilization. So after this, he became known as the man who ate his boots. (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah. Very British. (laughs) Right. And then in 1825, he leads a second overland expedition to the Arctic, again, to, like, map coastline. This one is more successful. (laughs) And that's when he's knighted. So he becomes Sir John Franklin. So after he's knighted, he becomes the governor of Tasmania for many years um, before he comes back to England. And then he's appointed leader of, like, this expedition. It was supposed to have been led by James Clark Ross, who, like, at the time, if you've read anything about polar exploration from this period, like, you probably recognize his name. He was probably the uh, most successful and most famous polar explorer of the day. <clears throat> He'd led from Britain or several, just in general? Just in general, okay. but, like, definitely from Britain. Um, and, like, one of the most 
uh, famous and successful ones in the world at the time. He discovered the Antarctic ice shelf in 1839 um, on his mission that uh, wintered over for several years in the Antarctic. Mm -hmm. Um, And on that mission, he took... The two ships that he took were the Erebus and Terror, which are the two ships that Franklin takes <laughs> on his attempt at the passage. So, like, same two ships. And the Ross's second in command on that mission um, is Francis Crozier, who was commanding the Terror at the time. He will also be Franklin's second in command, also commanding the Terror. <laughs> so, like... Franklin, not a super successful polar explorer, but, like, has some good guys with him, at least. But Ross turned it down because he had promised his wife that he wouldn't go again to the poles. Because last time he'd come back from a mission, she apparently was like, we're not doing this again. (laughs) And he was like, okay, yeah, that's fair. (laughs) So Ross agrees uh, with his wife that he's not going to go on any more polar exploration and so franklin gets chosen to lead the expedition so he has two ships the erebus and the terror he commands the erebus and crozier commands the terror and in total they have 134 crew with them they are provisioned for at least three years and the supplies uh before they leave everyone calculates that if necessary, if they go on short rations and this sort of thing, the supplies that they have can last for five years. So, like, they have loads of food. Ready? Typically, I mean, and you may not know, but, like, <laughs> how long did they usually provision for? Was, like, like normal? Was it extra? I mean, that's, that's, that's probably a bit more, but, like... Um, at least for the passage, like, it's going to take at least two years. Right, because they had to, like, winter so, in the ice and then... Right. Yeah. Like, okay. you give yourself a bit of a buffer and, like, let's provision for three years. Like, that should be totally fine. And, like, if you need to, you can cut down rations and you can be, like, totally fine for five years type of a thing is, like, the kind of the thinking okay. of the day. So, you ready to hear what they've got, all, all of their provisions on board? All over it, yes. It's <laughs> 1,200 pounds of pemmican. Do you know what pemmican is? I do not, know. This is the, so they talk about it in oh, all wait, of these. Oh, wait, is like, this like the old school, like, protein bars? Yeah, basically? that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Exactly. They talk about it in all of the, um, like, polar expedition memoirs and books and everything. It's basically, it's described as a concentrated fat and protein mixture. So what it is is that you take, like, the scraps of meat basically that are left over Mm -hmm. and you chop them up as fine as you can. And then you render that with like pure fat and you mold it into like, I know it sounds super gross. You mold it into like little cakes. Mm -hmm. So like they last forever. They don't spoil. They're super easy to transport like both in a ship and like on your person. If you're like trudging across Antarctica, you know, and you just like toss them in some, what is like some heated water to like make them edible. I mean, edible in yeah. quotation marks because like, God, this sounds nasty, but sure, whatever. It's like dehydrated dog food kind of. Essentially, yes. Mm-hmm. They do have specific um, that you also read about, like especially the Antarctic missions, like 
uh, dog pemmican. I am unclear how that's different wait, from wait, like wait. human pemmican. Made of dog or made for dogs? <laughs> the latter. Okay. Made for the dogs. <laughs> It's like that is some you're anticipating desperation at that point. Like we have our regular pemmican. But we've already sacrificed our dogs at home for the future. Right. Yeah. No, like so Shackleton takes a bunch of uh pemmican for the dogs, referred to as dog pemmican. <laughs> right. Got it. With him because he takes dogs with him. Right. He takes dog teams because he is planning Originally, before he gets uh, sidetracked, let's say, he's planning to uh, go across Antarctica, right? Because right? this is like a couple of years after Amundsen and <laughs> sort of Scott have been to the South Pole. So he's like, what's next? Transatlantic, like, trek. So he has a bunch of dogs with him. He brings a bunch of dog pemmican for them. I'm unclear how this dog pemmican is different from, like, human pemmican Don't. because they both sound totally nasty to yeah. me. Yeah. But there you go. Especially if you're I mean, starting with scraps. The perfect, I know, right? It's the perfect Arctic food, yeah. though, because it's, like, fat and protein. Like, that's literally all it is. And that is what you need in, like, those conditions. And, like, that's you know? a lot of what local populations eat. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, that makes for sure. perfect for sense. Sure. Yeah. I mean, not that specifically, yeah. so, obviously, but, like, similar. But that, like, dietary. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. They have 7,000 pounds of tobacco. <laughs> Obviously. Very important. Yes. 200 gallons of wine. Yes. Also mm-hmm. crucial. Almost 9,500 pounds of chocolate. These people get me. Because, <laughs> like, they've got their priorities in order. Right, exactly. Right? Like, the food <laughs> is garbage. It's literally garbage. <laughs> but we got the wine and the chocolate and the tobacco situation under control. <laughs> Um, yeah, chocolate is, like, also another very common part of, um, polar rations. Again, if you, like, read any of these memoirs or anything, like, they always have a small piece of chocolate because it's, like, again, sugar and fat and, like, gives you, like, instant energy, you know. It used to be considered a health food. It wasn't, like, a treat until, I think, the 20th (laughs) century was about when that switched over. Before that, it was, like, always considered a health food and and it was a ration in army foods until recently not as a treat but as actual substantive necessity yeah exactly like it sounds weird to us now to be like they brought chocolate but like yeah it's it makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. under these conditions nutritionally and, like, it's dense not... easy right, to store exactly yeah. exactly um they also have eight thousand tins of preserved meat vegetables and soup um this is at the time a new-ish technology tinned food and the navy like this is not true but the navy thought (laughs) that it had the same properties of guarding against scurvy as lemon or lime juice just like the act of canning things (laughs) right yeah exactly basically because um which is like the opposite but Right. The like literal opposite of the case. (laughs) But (laughs) the reason they thought this was because uh, Perry, who is another like famous Arctic explorer name, he had some of the earliest tinned food with him in his 1819-1820 winter that he spent in the Arctic. And although his men did get scurvy, very few of them ended up dying of it. They had some like late scurvy. 
Right. Yeah, exactly. This was in reality because he got as much fresh meat and other fresh food as he possibly could. Mm -hmm. Not because of the tinned food, but like the Navy decided that it was the tins. So like all of these missions after that get sent all of the tinned food. Even though it's, yeah, we'll talk about it. Like, I mean, huge it's mistake good, <laughs> in retrospect. It's good practice for, like, storage and for long-term sustainability. Definitely. Not Definitely. a scurvy but solution, like, but, like, a food does solution. Does not sure. protect against scurvy. Yeah. So they also have 9,300 pounds of lemon juice, which is, like, actually protection against scurvy. Although, mm-hmm. at this time... They know that it protects against scurvy, but they don't know why. Because they hadn't figured out vitamins yet. Yeah. Right. So let's talk about scurvy for a minute. So, like, scurvy is a vitamin C deficiency, right? After about one month of no vitamin C, like, little to no vitamin C, symptoms of scurvy start to appear. Yes. And they are gross. (laughs) And they are bad. Yeah. So the symptoms... Which, like, scurvy, if it's untreated, is 100% fatal. Like, it will always kill you if it is not treated. So, and it is a the long, symptoms are painful, gross journey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In a rough order of appearance, anemia, weakness and loss of appetite, fatigue, ulcers, joint and limb pain, joint and limb swelling, rictus of limbs, spontaneous bleeding, especially of the gums. Yep receding gums, mm-hmm. <laughs> poor wound healing. Correct. And there are also a lot of reports of like old scar tissue reopening. So like that bullet wound you got at Trafalgar yep. reopens and like now you're bleeding everywhere. Festers. Mm-hmm. Um, tooth loss. Obviously, if and, your gums are rotting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and bone breakage. Also, again, like old broken bones, like those breaks recur again. And, like, super intense gum disease that eventually, like, envelops the teeth that you still have left <laughs> and causes the t- this terrible smell. Your gums turn black and, like, then you die. It's really, really horrific. Right. So, like, that vitamin C is not going to help your cold, probably. But, like, <laughs> no scurvy. So bonus. Right. <laughs> Please. Eat an orange. <laughs> right. For the love of God. <laughs> Humans actually are one of the few animals that don't make their own vitamin C. I didn't know this. Uh, Apparently, most animals synthesize their own vitamin C. But we, along with most other primates and, like, randomly guinea pigs for some reason, do not synthesize our own vitamin C. So we have to get it through our diet. Wait, so, so primates could get scurvy? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Not lemurs. Lemurs apparently do uh, synthesize their own vitamin C, but like most other primates do not. I don't know why, but that was just like the saddest mental image I've ever had in my life was just like (laughs) a little monkey with scurvy. Yeah. (laughs) Like one of those little spiders, like not even a spider monkey, the the ones that are like the size of your thumb, just like, yeah, sad. Yeah, I know. I know. Sad thoughts for the day by Emma Hitchcock. (laughs) Scurvy riddled monkeys. (laughs) So the only treatment for scurvy is vitamin C. So like today you would take supplements or you would like get injections or this sort of thing. But in the past, obviously, um, fresh food is the only way to treat it, especially fruit. There are several vegetables that are very high in vitamin C and raw or undercooked meat, because again, most animals and like basically all the animals that we eat 
they synthesize it and so it's in their meat. Mm-hmm. We didn't know what caused it until 1917, which is when vitamins are discovered. But like basically all sailors had it for essentially all of history right. to varying degrees, right? Especially in like the age of exploration when they're going on these like year long sailing trips around the world, like you all have scurvy because there's no way to keep fresh food on board for that long, you know? Yeah, here's the one bonus, I guess, about doing polar exploration with that, because, like, the stench of that has to be horrendous. But it's not (laughs) going to be as bad as if you're, like, in the Caribbean. Yeah, yeah, that's true. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) And in the 1750s, uh, citrus juice was suggested as treatment in that very, like, of the times... We don't know what to do about this, and we don't know what causes anything. So, like, let's try anything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the, somebody was like, I don't know, lemon juice. And lo and behold, it actually worked. So it was adopted by the British Navy as a daily regimen in 1795. So it took them, like, 40 years. But they did finally get on board the citrus juice train as a treatment for scurvy. Yeah, but even ab- – I mean – because they hadn't figured out, um, like, vitamins just as a construct and what they did. Right. It was funny because, like, yes, they figured out that, like, citrus had some magical effect on this unknown quantity. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But they didn't know what, what that effect was. And so, like, if they didn't have fresh citrus fruit or, like, fresh food available, they were like, just how about vinegar? Like, just drink some vinegar. <laughs> Because it's Cause like, it, like tastes tangy. similar. Yeah, that was like legit, like up to like Oregon Trail situation. They're like this, maybe vinegar. Sure. Can you imagine how much that has to hurt if your gums are bleeding? Oh, oh God! Just like drinking vinegar or Ugh, lime terrible. juice or lemon juice or any like. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Oh God. Also, like, I don't know about you, but if I like. I get that medicine didn't really exist at the time. Really? So, but like, <laughs> yeah, no. If your doctor turns it, you're like bleeding and stiff and like your wounds are reopening, like, and you're pretty <laughs> sure you're, I don't know, possessed or cur- accursed by God. Like, and your doctor's like, have an orange. I'd be like, fuck you, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Give are me you, some real medicine. Right, like, are you mocking me, sir? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Where's that good old, like, what was it? Like, one of the things they used to do is, like, if you had, a like, throat afflictions, they'd, like, wrap bacon around your throat, like. Right? Yeah, yeah. I guess it doesn't seem any less crazy than that, but at the same time, like, (laughs) medicine. I need actual fucking medicine here, man. (laughs) Yeah, right? Seriously. I mean, the lemon and the lime juice, like, it's, it's definitely not going to cure your scurvy because, like, It's been sitting, by the time you have scurvy, right, on this, like, expedition, it's been a really long time. And that lemon juice has been sitting in that barrel for, like, probably over a year. Mm -hmm. So, like, its vitamin C content is not super high anymore. Like, you're definitely still going to get scurvy. But it probably will be less severe and it will take longer to appear than it would without, like, the lemon juice, Mm -hmm. right? So, like... Even after they figure out that lemon juice treats it, like, everybody's still getting scurvy. It's just taking longer. And it's, like, 
maybe more people are recovering from it and this right. sort of thing. Once they, they, they survive long enough to get back to actual food. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So, okay. Here's what we actually, like, for real know about Franklin's expedition. Okay. So on May 19th, 1845, Franklin set sail from England with the Erebus and Terror. He stops to resupply in Greenland after a couple, like about a month-ish. And he spends yeah, six weeks. He spends a couple of weeks resupplying in Greenland. And he leaves Greenland on July 12th. At the end of July, then, he's seen by two whaling ships in Baffin Bay. And like, I will try my best to describe to you where these places are, but like, really, you should just get a map and yeah, follow along. Maps I are highly recommended. <laughs> Baffin Bay is the body of water that's to the west, that's like directly to the west of Greenland, right? So he's seen by two whaling ships there at the end of July. And he spends some time, like, hanging out with the whalers while they wait for conditions, the ice to melt, basically, the conditions to allow them into Lancaster Sound. Lancaster Sound is essentially the only westward, like, main channel from Baffin Bay, okay, if you're looking at a map. (laughs) So, (coughs) So he and the whalers part at the beginning of August. Apparently, the ice was starting to melt, and he's like, okay, I can get into Lancaster Sound now. So they sail away in that direction, and this is the last time that they were ever seen. Okay. After three years, because that's how much time they're supposed to have food for, right? So three years later, in 1848, when there's still been no word of them, the Navy starts to be like, "Hmm, maybe we should, like... Check on this situation. Check on these folks. (laughs) So the first search parties are sent out. One goes through Bering Strait. One goes through Lancaster Sound. And one goes overland from Hudson Bay. The one that goes through Lancaster Sound is actually led by Ross. So the guy who was supposed to lead the expedition originally. And it's a complete disaster. Just because he feels guilty. He's like, honey, listen, I didn't go. And now they're super dead. I got to go find them. Yeah, like, this is actually all my fault. So, like, I need to go and see what I can do about this. (laughs) But it was a mistake because it's a complete disaster. Like, basically everyone, including Ross, is cripplingly ill. And there's this enormously high mortality morbidity rate. And, like, they have to spend the winter on an island there. And they finally, when spring comes, are like, oh, my God, open water. We got to get out of here. And they, like limp back to Britain. So like Ross did his best. (laughs) And based on what we later learn, he was the closest to where Franklin's men like would have been. Some of them could still have been alive at this time, but like Ross and his crew were like so sick that they couldn't yeah, yeah, they couldn't do anything. So like sorry. Right. I mean, it's the same principle, Um, like, two drowning people cannot save each other. Like, (laughs) right. Exactly. (laughs) Good luck. I'm sorry. You got to go. Between 1848 and 1880, there are 25 major search parties that are sent out. Many of these are organized by Franklin's wife, Lady Jane Franklin. She is the one who really pushed the Navy to send out search parties um, after a couple of years. 
And when they finally stopped sending out search parties because they were like, listen, lady, like (laughs) this is expensive and like dangerous and all of these guys are dead. I'm sorry. Um, She then organized and funded several of them herself. So that's like actual like we definitely know this. Then we get into the territory of like reconstructed events. So these are from... That's not a lot, though. That's, like, nothing. Right. Right. Basically nothing. Like, they left and then they disappeared. The end. (laughs) The end. (laughs) Right. So, from the findings of the search parties and from, like, local Inuit groups, then we can reconstruct the rest of what, like, probably happened to them. There's only one, like, written document that has ever been recovered from this expedition. Um, so we do have, like, this one note <laughs> that I'll talk about that, like, kind of cracks me up, that's to be why honest. <laughs> you always leave a note. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so it seems like they went through Lancaster Sound, but probably couldn't get into the Barrow Strait, which is kind of, like... Again, on your maps, <laughs> um, like the extent, like the westward extension of Lancaster Sound. Okay. <clears throat> because they seem to have circled Cornwallis Island, which is like to the north of like this Lancaster Sound Barrow Strait kind of confluence. It's this little island. Um, like in the middle seem- <clears throat> of the sound or like? No, like on the northern side okay. of it. Okay. Um, so they seem to have circled this island, proving that it was, in fact, a separate island and not attached to the island to the east, which is called Devon Island, um, as people had thought previously. Because, and they they seem to have stopped occasionally along the way to take various scientific measurements, like magnetic readings and temperature and pressure and these sorts of things. Because all of these expeditions, like, especially the British ones, <clears throat> they um they're also they're not just like you know exploring for the hell of it they're like also quote unquote advancing science or right. whatever I mean, they're right? doing their best yeah right so they all they always have like all this scientific equipment and like often scientists like actual for real scientists with them so along the coast of this island search parties found different kind of spots where there were kind of like debris around where it seems like Franklin's men like stopped and got off the ship and like took some readings and then got back on and carried on their way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they circle Cornwallis Island and then they spend the winter of 1845, 1846 anchored just off of Beachy Island, which is this itty bitty little island on the southwest like corner of Devon Island. And we know they wintered there because we found the search parties found their winter camp. So their camp consists of like all these remains of different buildings. So there's like a forge and a storehouse and a carpenter's shop and different tents and like (laughs) super sad, a little tiny garden. Like, I don't know what you guys think you're growing there in the winter, but like, Again, sure. <laughs> so British. So British. <laughs> I appreciate the effort. 
Um, there are three graves with headstones. So these were like the first three men to die, apparently. You said so that so cheerfully. There's <laughs> three graves, which I know for you is like a bonus material. Yeah, to, absolutely. Like, I mean, I would be cheerful about right. it. Like, hey, hey guys. Out. <laughs> so the first man to die was uh, John Torrington and his headstone, like all the headstones have like their name, their like rank the day they died and how old they were. So it's John Torrington. He died the 1st of January, 1846. Happy, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah. <laughs> and he was 20 years old. Ah. Yeah. Ah. I know. Then there's John Hartnell, who dies three days later on January 4th, 1846. He was 25. And then there's William Brain, who dies a couple of months later on April 3rd, Wait, 1846. I'm sorry. So his name was Billy Brain. Yes, it was. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm sorry. How old was Billy Brain? Uh, he was 32. Okay. <laughs> There's also um, an, a cairn. Like, and if you guys don't know what these are, these are like basically giant piles of rocks that you build in the polar regions because like it's a like flat empty expanse of white ice. <laughs> so like in order to mark things, you build a huge pile of rocks and you like stick things in it um yeah they build those in the the desert sometimes too right yes yeah they do it, it's to help you orient right. and to store things right absolutely and to like mark you know so and so was here so you put like different notes in them and like depoted food supplies and you just like leave them because you know someone may be coming later who like needs that tin of biscuits or whatever right um so they built a cairn, but, like, it's empty. So, wah-wah. Which would suggest they built it, stored it, and then we're like, fuck, we definitely need that chocolate. <laughs> right. JK. Right. We need that. Gotta fuck go back guys. for it. <laughs> Gonna need that. Probably. I mean, that's the only logical explanation I can think of. Like, there's, just certainly doesn't make any sense to, like, build the whole, build the thing and then just, like, leave it. You know, like a stocking for sure. Christmas. Like maybe if we build it, <laughs> someone will fill it for us. Right. I We're very really hungry know. and our guns are bleeding. <laughs> I hope it's oranges. <laughs> uh, I mean, at this stage, their guns probably are not bleeding yet because like it's only been a year. So they're probably not that bad off. Okay. Yet. But like still got some definitely will be. <laughs> um. There's also an enormous pile of what's estimated to be about 700 discarded tins stacked seven feet high oh, God. in this camp. Wow. <laughs> so, like, some of them are empty, but some of them still have food in them because the food and the food that's in the, the ones, um, like, the food remains in them. It's, like, going off. Like, it's gone bad or, like, in the process of going bad. Which would, I mean, which means it was probably botulism when it was tinned. Because, like, you're right. in the Arctic, so, like, it's not going to... Yeah. So, like, let's talk about the tins. Tinning, at this <laughs> point, is, like, as I said, a fairly new technology. And a little dicey. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the major principles of canning, because, like, you know I do that sometimes, is, like, everything has to be <laughs> yes. super hygienic uh, in order to avoid right. poisoning Hygiene, people. Hygiene. Conditions. Once again, this point. not really a thing at this point, much like <laughs> medicine. <laughs> right. 
like he we as like humans are not super up on hygiene yet um and like again this is tinning has basically just been invented like in the last decades at this point and early tins apparently had lead solder on the inside seam mm-hmm. as well as the outside so like Perfect. what they essentially did was like take a rectangle of tin and like wrap it up into a circle put lead solder like where it met on the inside and the outside Mm -hmm. and then two circles slap them on the ends and like lead solder Solder all the way around those right so (laughs) right so like all of the food inside is always in contact with the lead so it's constantly like leaching lead out of the solder and bonus bits of the solder would break off and like end up in the food that you then eat right so you're like eating lead like On straight up eating lead <laughs> the potential botulism so really it's a contest to see what gets you first <laughs> the food poisoning right. or the lead poisoning great exactly this seems like an awesome system right so like a lot of the food had spoiled because like you say like they're not um <laughs> they're definitely not airtight and like have lead in them so a lot of the food when they open the tin like is already spoiled so or just straight up poison that you can't see (laughs) well right like at least that they're going to eat though because they can't see it you know nobody knows that lead poisoning is a thing yet so (laughs) for sure not (laughs) yeah i'm sure at that point Um, they're like it's healthy for you absolutely little lead is good for you at least use it as makeup (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was used as everything. <laughs> so they spend the winter there, their first winter. And then once the thaw hit, they seem to have turned southwards in an attempt to find the passage. But they are frozen in to the ice again, into the sea ice, northwest of King William Island. Okay. So, like, again, if you look at your map again. Like, from the Barrow Strait, there are basically two different ways that you can go south from there. You reach the northern coast of Canada, and then you turn west, and it's like, I mean, more or less, a straight shot out into open water again. So, like, at that corner where, like, the waterway turns roughly 90 degrees to go west along the northern coast of Canada, like, King William Island is right there. Mm -hmm. So the second winter, so this would be 1846, 1847, the ships seem to have been frozen into the sea ice off the coast of this island. And they apparently sent out some exploring parties during this winter because one left a note in a cairn that was built on King William Island at a place called Victory Point, which is kind of in the northwest of the island. And ironic. (laughs) yeah it will be very ironic (laughs) um (laughs) so that note is dated may 28th 1847 so this is kind of like towards the end of the second winter right um and that note says that like you know so and so party of like x y and z men led by whoever like part of Sir Franklin's expedition, like leaves this note because we were exploring and that's all it says. Um, But then, so presumably their hope is that they like 
thaw out in the summer of 1847, and they, like, continue on their way, right? That's a reasonable Instead hope. of yeah. thawing, uh, it seems that they stayed frozen into the ice, that, like, Oops. ice didn't thaw. Yeah. And they had to spend a second winter frozen in the same place off of King William Island. Uh, if nothing so, else, the sheer boredom of that. Right? There is, like, nothing There's to nothing do. to do. Because There's it's, nothing like, to look at. And you're stuck too with the cold same... outside to go out, yeah. you know? <laughs> right? There's uh, nothing to look at except, like, the guy sitting two feet from you across That, that you have been staring room. at for two years. <laughs> right. For, like, three years now. <laughs> right. And you're like, I cannot look at your stupid face for one more second. Yeah. <laughs> Go outside, yeah. Billy Brain. He died. <laughs> oh. Uh, so the reason we know that they spend a second winter frozen into the ice here is because in 1848, in April, someone went back to the cairn, opened it up, took out that note that they left, and, like, scribbled an additional note, like, in the margins around the original note. Just like a... P.S. or like BT dubs. <laughs> right. That like addendum to the note <laughs> says that like we had to spend a second winter here. That the ships we've just abandoned ship. Oh. And Franklin died in Aww. June of 1847. So like almost a full year before. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So the second note is left April 25th. 1848. Right. And it says that they abandoned ship on April 22nd, 1848. They clearly set up camp at this cairn on Victory Point <laughs> because they, like, hauled everything out of the ship, brought it to Victory Point, and, like, sorted through all of it there. Because there's, like, tons and tons of discarded, just, like, straight up shit. Like, I mean, I'm sure literally, yes. Everywhere. (laughs) Littered everywhere around here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they brought everything out. They like sorted through everything. And then the note says they are going to head towards the back river, which is one of these rivers that like, it doesn't really matter which one joins the northern coast. Yeah. But there's um, an outpost of the Hudson Bay Company on this river. Okay. So that's why they're going to that one. Got it. They have a very specific now, goal in mind. <laughs> right. It's up like <laughs> to give you a perspective though about like <laughs> what uh kind of odds they're facing. It's about 200 miles just to the mouth of the river from where they are. Okay. All right. And like I couldn't find exactly where this outpost was, but I saw something that said it was going to be an 800 mile journey. To this outpost. So, like, apparently this outpost was, like, way upriver. Okay. But they wouldn't have... Did they know where they were? Yes. Okay. I mean, roughly at least. Like, they so have absolutely no chance of making it. That, but that's, like, <laughs> like, an act of desperation. They're, like, the closest humans on Earth that might be are able to help us. 800 miles away. Yes, exactly. Are these, like, French-speaking, beaver hat-wearing um, folk? One assumes so, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's the Hudson Bay, so I assume right. that they're French-speaking. Yeah. Like, French-speaking fur trappers, right. basically, is what they are. But, like... We need some fur hats. Bonjour. <laughs> Orange. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah, like, like this funny. is a super bad idea, but, like, 
they literally have no other option. You know, mm-hmm. like what else are they gonna do? Sit there and die? Like that's right. their other option. So like, right. all right, I got here it. we go. Yeah. Setting off for Back River. Um, so the note also gives the death toll to date, which is that nine officers and 15 crewmen have died, okay. including Franklin. Um, so as so we're at like 10% of, at that point, right? Cause it was like 130 yeah. something. 130. Yeah. 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 Ish. 10% ish. So like as of the abandonment of the ships, we should have still 105 survivors. Yeah. So the na- the note is dated April 25th. Presumably on 18 20- April 26th, they set out for Back River. They are at this point manhauling the lifeboats, which are loaded onto sledges, and then supplies are loaded into the lifeboats. The lifeboats, right? right. These boats are enormous though. The boats are 28 feet long. Holy shit. <laughs> and with the sledge, they weighed 1400 pounds. I'm sure. Yeah. Like enormous like and that doesn't even include any supplies the that stuff, may be loaded right. into them right so like <laughs> enormous boats like this is definitely definitely not going to work okay but again like what else are they supposed to do um <clears throat> i mean it's only like 14 pounds per person if you attach <laughs> okay but they have like multiple lifeboats it's not just one lifeboat <laughs> Um, this is their last documented date and like their last certain position because again, like no other records have ever been recovered. Yeah. Right. At this point, there's probably basically no food supplies left. (laughs) Um, and most of them probably had scurvy already, like probably had pretty bad scurvy already. (laughs) (laughs) And from here, they seem to have kind of just gradually scattered across the island because... because there are skeletons found all over, like both singly and in groups. And there are Mm. also artifacts, especially tin cans, found like scattered all over the island by uh, the original search parties, yeah. So one group apparently hauled a boat from Victory Point to the southwest (laughs) to a place that has been named Boat Place. (laughs) Love it. And... The original searchers found two skeletons inside the boat, both, like, wrapped up in all of their furs with their guns, like, at hand, mm-hmm. and several other skeletons outside the boat. Now, the reports of the number of skeletons outside the boat, I don't know how this happens, but vary between 6 and 14. All right. That's which, like, questionable. Though, like, I mean, I, I guess- don't know. <laughs> Does that make sense? Because, like, these are all, like, part of the way that you identify bodies is, like, looking to figure out, like, age and gender and, like, that sort of thing. And since they're all, like, men. No, no. No. This is, this is from the original, uh, the original searchers. So, like. Oh, oh. Yeah, this is not, like, modern So, there's, there's just, analysis. like, a couple people right. and they're, I like, don't. six and they're, like, 14 and they're, like, 11. Right. Like, I don't. Sure. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know, like, how one gets that large a margin of error, but, like. For, like, a whole sure. body? Yeah, that's. <laughs> right. I don't know. But apparently there are at least four that are, like, still with the boat. Right? Okay. So, like, two inside, four, like, dead around the boat. And then more. Who knows how many? Unclear. Dead, like, in a trail leading away from the boat as okay. if they, like, abandoned it and then just, like, literally dropped dead 
as they were walking. Right. Yeah. They were like, you guys stay here. Hold down the fort, also known as a boat. <laughs> we'll be back. Right. Like. I, I mean, probably more of like a good luck situation. Screw you guys. Like, <laughs> yeah. Right. Like you are now too weak to walk anywhere. And like I have been hauling your ass around for several days and I am now too weak to do that. So like I'm leaving. Okay. I'm just going to keep walking and like what good luck. <laughs> direction where the body is scattered in. So the boat is pointing north, like towards the deserted ships. So like. Okay. Are they heading back to the ships because they're, like, trying to get more supplies? Are they just turned around because they're, like, starving and scurvy-ridden and confused? I don't know. Or did they think they could get back to the boats and, like, hunker down long enough to get on the boat and fucking leave? Right. Maybe. I don't yeah. know. Like, maybe they're headed back for the boats or maybe they're just, like, confused. Yeah. I have no idea. Okay. Um, the boat, though, is, like, full of crap, right? That they're, like, hauling around this island possibly in circles with them um, because the things that are found in the boat by the searchers are boots, which like, okay, that's sensible. Might need some new boots. Got to walk for 800 miles, right. right? Silk handkerchiefs, which like, I mean, okay, maybe that's all you had with you. Curtain rods though. What are you going to use a curtain rod for? If you need like, to like spear a thing. Okay, but you've got guns. Like, they had guns with them. Right, but you don't know how long your gun is got. Like, I personally, <laughs> unless I absolutely had to, I am not getting rid of a single fucking thing. Like, you do not know. I have watched enough survival movies. Like, you don't know what the thing is you are going to need. Okay, I am getting rid of literally everything that I do not need because I am already hauling 1,400 pounds of boat on my back. So, like, see, that's your problem, I feel. Like, that's where we're going wrong. <laughs> need a better system to carry the shit than 1,400 pound boats. So, they have curtain rods for some mysterious reason. They have silverware, which, again, like, I there's no food. Like, what do you need the silverware for? Scented soap, sponges, slippers. What do you need a slipper for? Come on. <laughs> Toothbrushes, combs, and six books, including a Bible. <laughs> the only food in the boat was tea and chocolate. So, like, we definitely don't have any food anymore at this point, you know? I, I enjoy this in the sense of, like, you're freezing <laughs> to death and you definitely get scurvy and everything is awful. But, like... What you have there is the equipment to, like, <laughs> lounge around and drink your tea and have some chocolate while you read a book in your slippers. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we can just, like, pretend that we are right. not in this terrible situation yeah. and all about to die. Yeah, that's fair. I see that. <laughs> Hang up the curtains, Jeeves. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, many of the bodies that were found on this island are look like they just, you know, dropped and died as they were yeah. walking. And, like... A lot of the search parties come into contact, like come across these uh, small local Inuit groups. And the ones that can communicate with them um, say that, like when they're questioned about it, say that like, yes, that is exactly what happened. Like all of them are like, yeah, we definitely saw those white dudes. And they like definitely dropped where they were walking, you know? Mm -hmm. um, some of the Inuit groups said that like, yes, we saw those white dudes and we gave them some food and then, like, we went about our business. Um, so some of the other ones, though, say that they saw the ships 
and that they saw bodies on the ships. So, like, there's a question of whose bodies are those? Like, did some of the men return to the ships and those are the bodies that were seen? Or were they, like, bodies that were left on the ships when they were abandoned, you know, from, or like, like, people the death toll? Right. Or, like, people who didn't abandon the ship and they just were, like, uh, you know, you're never going to make it to Back River. Like, we're all going to die anyway. So, like, I'm going to die in my bed instead of, like, hauling that 1,400-pound boat across <laughs> right. the ice and snow, you know? Which, like, that's a decision I understand. Yeah. <laughs> Practical perspective. So, yeah, it's not entirely clear, like, whose bodies these were or, like, I don't know. And a lot of these Inuit reports, like, surprise, surprise, <laughs> were dismissed <laughs> entirely. Right early on, right? Because it was like these, you know, native savages don't know what they're talking about type of a thing. So like most of these were not like really investigated or like leads followed up on if, you know, I mean the ships, like there's nothing you can do because the ships have sunk by now, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's like uh, several years later at this point at least. Um, So yeah, but it's like not entirely clear to me whose bodies would have been on the ship. So, like, question mark. I I'm mean, sure. we know whose bodies. Um, well, yeah, but, like, how, you know. But did they, why, like, not leave yeah. the ship? Did they die before they abandoned the ship? Did they, like, abandon ship and then go back to the ship? Like, there are multiple possibilities. Yeah. It's unclear. But one, like, main group of survivors does seem to have made it, like, southeast across the island <clears throat> to Booth Point, which is, like, kind of little, like a little promontory on that side of the island where they camped for a bit because we found the remains of their camp. And like the Inuit say, and modern evidence supports this, um, that they were definitely eating each other by now. Me? So, <laughs> right, which like is not surprising. But like at the time was super horrifying, right? This is part of the reason that the Inuit testimony gets dismissed, like, basically wholesale because they, they don't were want like, to believe right exactly it's like right it's like that's not how you know british men behave type of a thing um and the inuit were like yeah we saw those white guys yes they were definitely eating each other and so like all of britain <laughs> i was think up what i love about, about this is the inuit <laughs> are just sort of like minding their own business wandering around and there's this just like bizarre curiosity happening over there and they're like oh they're eating each other huh. I should probably get home now. Like, what? <laughs> I mean, they did say that they helped some of them. But, like, I'm not going near those guys. Like, they are clearly desperate and, like, probably crazy because they're, like, out of desperation, you know, at this point. But you could, so, like, like, fix that situation. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, okay. The, the thing is, though, that, like, so many of these groups in environments like this, like, they are constantly on the edge of starvation themselves, right. usually. Right, right. You know? Like, we just killed a seal and it is enough to feed my family group for like, you know, three days. Right. <laughs> and if I don't kill another seal before then, like, well, we're just not going to be able to eat for a few days. So like, am I really going to give this entire seal to like those strangers over there who don't even speak my language? Like, eh, maybe not. You know, I understand. I mean, obviously not for the most <laughs> part. I mean, right. and I, I get it. Self-interest is important. I just feel like if I got to the level of seeing people eat each other, I'd be like, guys, <laughs> Guys, real quick. Have some nice blubber if you would like that. It seems to resemble the pemmican I saw over there. 
<laughs> yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Um, I just like that the Inuit are like wandering around at this like bizarre <laughs> European yeah. curiosity happening in their backyard. Like <laughs> for sure. I like the um like the flipping of that gaze because it's so often like that what he, we hear about is, you know, like the anthropologist, like Margaret Mead style, right. going into the jungle and like observing the natives and like, right. don't they do strange things? And this is like the exact opposite <laughs> of that. The Inuit, like watching these Europeans stumble around haplessly going like such strange people, such odd customs, you know, right. I just so I really enjoyed that part of it. Bizarre and helpless <laughs> like infants. <laughs> then they ate right. each what other. What are they what doing savages? here? Savages. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It's brilliant. I love it. <laughs> um, but based on the bones recovered at Booth Point, like in the modern day, which I'll talk about in a minute, they were like, this is going to sound terrible, but um, they're carrying, they're like carrying meat with them, basically, mm-hmm. at this point as they go, because they mostly find arms, arm and leg bones, which are like easily transportable, yeah. right? So they're definitely eating each other. Yeah. Um <clears throat> Love me a turkey yeah, leg. Yeah, yep. <laughs> you do what you got to do, you know? And then from Booth Point, we are definitely going to do an episode on the Donner Party at some point, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay, great. Definitely. Just, just checking. Um, definitely. <laughs> so whoever was still alive, like at Booth Point, <clears throat> seems to have crossed the Simpson Strait, which is like the small body of water separating the island from like the rest of Canada to the mainland and made it to (laughs) this place very aptly named Starvation Cove where they find the remains of another lifeboat and it seems like the final men probably died there yeah that goes nicely with boat place (laughs) indeed (laughs) Um, now that doesn't mean that like some of the men didn't carry on after Starvation Cove and, like, walked farther. Like, at that point, the trail goes completely cold and we have no more, like, remains or clues or anything. That's, like, the farthest point that we can trace them, like, materially, you know? Yeah, but, so like, if other people carried on, it was, like, a couple of naked guys with no provisions left who got <laughs> eaten by a bear or something at that point. Right, or, but, like, you know... Nobody lives up there. Like, right. you could very easily be, like, you know, a couple of guys in, like, ones and twos who kind of, like, wandered off, off, crazed yeah. and starved and, like, dropped dead somewhere in the tundra and, like, their bones were never found. Like, that is 100% possible. Yeah. But, you know, we just don't know. Yeah. So, like, modern investigation. So all of that we kind of, like, pieced together from, like, the search parties in the 19th century. Yeah. And then at the end of the 20th century in the 1980s, um, they did several, they did two years of archaeological survey on the island. <clears throat> and they found like bones scattered everywhere, obviously, because, you know, approximately 100 guys like died on that island. Um, so most of the bones have evidence of scurvy to greater or lesser degrees, which like, Yes, not Naturally. surprising. Right. Um, there are, this is going to get gross, so like, <laughs> warning. Um, cut marks on the bones from Booth Point. And the skulls that are found there are often, not all of them, but like often missing their faces because like. Yes. Well, no, and, and just to be clear, like the cut marks would be from them like hacking the meat off the bones. 
Like, yes, that's absolutely. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Cut marks I mean, like, are like. I know that, but most people probably wouldn't go there. They'd be like, oh, no, they hurt themselves. It's like, nope. No. You're right. Yes. Thank you. So, like, <laughs> there are cut marks on these bones. When I say cut marks, I mean, like, cut marks in the archaeological sense, which mean, like, butchering yeah. marks, right? These are the types of marks that we see on, like, cows and sheeps and pigs and things like animals that are butchered for meat. So, like... Did they have anything? Because, like, my favorite is when they can tell that they were eating each other because, like, there's the bone polishing from the the pots. Is there any of that? Yeah, I'll talk. Yeah, there is. So, yes. like, there are cut marks, like, butchery cut marks. There are pot polish on the ends of these bones. So, like, pot polish is a thing that happens when you cook meat on the bone inside of a pot, obviously. And, like, as you stir it in the pot, the the top and bottom of the bones which are like slightly exposed obviously they like like as the bones (laughs) as the bones as you like cook it and you stir the like stew essentially right right? the ends of the bones scrape along the bottom of the pot and they get like they take on this really characteristic um smooth like shiny polished look that's why it's called pot polish right Mm -hmm. so like that is characteristic of bones that have been cooked with the meat on them that have been like boiled with the meat on them so the bones have pot polish on the ends of them um which is very easily recognizable to like anyone who studies bones you know any sort of like archaeozoologist or like osteologist or archaeobiologist like any of these people who study bones like they will instantly recognize it that's like that's what causes it you know um the bones were also broken and cooked for marrow extraction like so that pot is also part of the pot polish um but bones that are broken open for marrow extraction like you can often tell by how it's broken and where it's broken and these sorts of things um and the skulls are missing their faces. So, like, broke open the skulls to get at the brain to eat. So, like, like an Indiana Jones. <laughs> exactly. <Monkey brains. laughs> um, yeah, because, like, this is gross, but it's a really good source of nutrition, you know? So, yeah, I mean, people eat brain. They just don't usually eat, like, human brain. They're usually eating, like, exactly. cow brain or something. Sheep brain. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um <clears throat> So they found all of this evidence that, like, supported the Inuit testimony from back in the day. Um, So they've been exonerated. (laughs) But they didn't find... They didn't find as much, um, like, undisturbed remains as they had hoped. Because, you know, it's been a long time and there have been search parties tramping all over the island for, like, 100 plus years at this point. So... They went to Beachy Island, which is where they spent the first winter, right? Where they, like, set up their little camp with a garden. <laughs> I just can't get over these names. I love it. Beachy Island, boat place, Victory Point. And they got permission. <laughs> Starvation Cove is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> they got permission to exhume the three bodies that had been buried there. So in 1984, they exhumed Torrington. And in 86, they exhumed Hartnell and Brain. All of them. And like reading about the process of this is really, really fascinating. All of them had been totally frozen into like solid blocks of ice 
as groundwater seeped into the coffin and froze. So like, because we're basically talking about permafrost here, right? They're like buried in the permafrost. Sorry. So they had actual like coffins? That yeah. They like yeah, built they'd, out of. Yeah. Yeah. They'd built them coffins. Boat? Yeah. I don't know. I mean. Okay. Sorry. I just, maybe. Suddenly. Maybe. Yeah. Anyway, okay. It's possible they brought, like, wood with them because they anticipated, uh, like, lumber. Yeah. yeah. Um, Because they anticipated, like, having to spend at least one winter there. Right. Because they built, like, you know, a blacksmith and they built all sorts of other buildings. So it's possible they, like, brought lumber with them. I don't know. I was doing predictive text on that sentence and I thought (laughs) it was going to end with, it's possible they brought coffins to anticipate. (laughs) Whoa. No. No. (laughs) Wood is where that right. that sentence was going. Yep. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, like, they're buried in the permafrost and, like, groundwater trickling through the permafrost, like, seeps into the coffins and then froze it into, like, a solid block of ice. So what they needed to do was, like, first of all, dig through, like, I don't know, half a meter or a meter or something of permafrost, which, like, is not easy. And then thaw the coffin with, like, warm water is how they did it. So, like, thaw out the coffin, pry up the lid, and now you're replaced with, like, literally a giant ice cube. Thaw the ice cube until you can, like, expose the body, and then thaw the body so that it's not frozen to the bottom of the coffin anymore so that you can lift it out so that you can do the autopsy, right? All of them were found to be starving at the time of their death, which, like, at first is kind of like, well, yeah, duh. But they shouldn't no, have been starving the at year. this point. Right, exactly. It's only the first winter. So, like, they should have had plenty of food still. Remember, they were supposed to have had food for minimum three years. Three years so, like, right. none of them should have been starving yet. So this is actually very strange. And during the autopsies, they took all sorts of, like, scans and CTs and all x-rays and such. And they also took tons of samples, right? So, like, tissues and bones and fingernail and hair and like all sorts of samples so the results of these autopsies were that all of them had like low-key lung disease and tuberculosis um i mean yes as we discussed discussed. like (laughs) everyone had tuberculosis (laughs) right literally everybody had tuberculosis so like all of them had low-key tb um torrington also had low-key like lung disease and emphysema but it seems like pneumonia probably killed all three of them. Now, okay. it's difficult yeah. to say, obviously, like, which of these things, like, exactly killed them. But, like, probably it was the pneumonia. Um, and if you're starving, it's going to, yeah, I mean, your immune system is weakened. But what were their lead levels, out of curiosity? <laughs> <laughs> right. So, like, um, they, well, okay, the, the the thing about them being starving, like, it's probably because they were already sick, right? Not because, like, right, everybody it, was starving. They were yeah, weakened like, by that's... disease and didn't want to eat. Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. So, like, that's why they were starving to death. Not because, like, like they were dying and so they were starving. Not they were starving and that's why they died, you know? Right. That, to, and like, with tuberculosis, maybe that, that was important. one of the, the main causes of death from tuberculosis <laughs> is malnutrition. Because it just makes right. you sick and you don't want to eat. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, yes, they had very high levels of lead <laughs> in all of their samples um, from, like, the mummies and from the bones. And, like, these mummies, similar to the Inca mummies that we talked about, like, are crazy well-preserved. Are like, they? 
They're super, super freaky. Um, super high levels of lead, and you can trace the lead in, like, you can trace the lead exposure in the hair samples, right? So, like, right. as you get closer to the scalp, the lead levels go up for all three of them. So it's not that they had lead poisoning before they left on this expedition. It's that they got lead poisoning, like, while they were on the ship already. Um, Yeah, yeah, all of them, though, like, for real, also Google these guys. Like, be prepared. Super, super gross. But, like, Google them. Super interesting. Franklin. I Googled it right before you said super, super gross. (laughs) I was not prepared. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Super gross. That happened just as you were saying that. Not prepared. But, like, guys. I'm sorry. It's cool. My bad. But, yes, emotionally steady yourself before you rock that Google. Oh, my God. Okay, it's just getting worse. Right. Yeah, they're all pretty horrifying. But they're really well preserved. Like, when they are lifted out of their coffins, the team says that, like, they are still flexible. There is barely any tissue damage. And, like, when specialists look at the tissue slides, like, under the microscope... They say that they look like modern pathology samples. Like, that's how well-preserved they are. They look like something straight out of The Walking Dead. Like, this is the shit of nightmares. Because they look like they could sit like and, yeah. mm -hmm. Right, like, their Mm -hmm. lips are, like, peeled back. Yeah, I know, I know. It's it's pretty horrifying. Like, (laughs) if you are prone to nightmares, maybe skip this Google search. (laughs) Might recommend, like, Mid-afternoon, when you have some nice plans with puppy dogs planned later, maybe. Right, yeah. Okay. Anyway, yes. Um, They're really well-preserved. Still flexible. And the reason that this is... Yeah, the reason that this is true is because normally the fats in dead bodies, even mummies, become adipocere, which is this waxy substance, also called fat wax or grave wax. It makes dead bodies, like give that it gives them that like waxy look that I think we're probably all familiar with at least from like tv and movies you know it's this like white ivory kind of colored substance with this like (laughs) gross like soapy cheesy consistency and this very strong smell messes me up at the mood or at the soap lady yeah yeah the soap lady exactly this is why so like the fat in your body when you die turns into this substance, adipocere. But as it turns out, this conversion only happens at temperatures at or above freezing. So under about minus five degrees Celsius, adipocere doesn't form and your cells just like slowly dehydrate, which preserves flexibility and presents, prevents stiffness. So like Otzi, the famous Iceman, he is also preserved in this way. That's why he's so well preserved. And I haven't read this specifically in regards to the Inca children, but I would assume that it's also probably true for the Inca children. And that's yeah. why they look so lifelike, too. I know? mean, the temperatures up there. Are <laughs> right. It's cold. That that yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, so that's why these kind of. Um, these kind of ice mummies look so different from like, you know, the Egyptian mummies or like the bog bodies or these other types of uh, mummies that we're used to seeing because this process never happened. So that's why they look like with the Inca children, like we said, they look like they're sleeping like that. Like this is why, as it turns out, which I just learned when 
uh, researching this episode, which I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. So, like, what killed all of these dudes, right? <laughs> I Lots mean, of stuff. All <laughs> kinds of stuff. Starvation, obviously. <laughs> Major factor. <laughs> um, all of them definitely had scurvy. And, like, probably at least low-key lead poisoning from their food, right? Mm-hmm. Lead poisoning which I'm sure everybody knows, can be fatal if it's untreated at high enough levels, um, causes any heavy metal poisoning. (laughs) Right, obviously. (laughs) Um, Causes joint and muscle pain and weakness, memory and concentration problems, anorexia, fatigue, headaches, abdominal pain, mood swings, paranoia, like makes you crazy. Yeah. Super great when you're trying to haul a 1,400-pound boat across the Arctic. (laughs) Right, which is why I say, like, maybe the guys at Boat Place were just confused and, like, didn't realize they were heading back to the boats. I got a great plan. They were, like, (laughs) meth addicts at that point, basically. Yeah, exactly. Guys, I got a super great plan. Here's what we're going to do. Are you ready? We're going to go back to the boat. Or, like, maybe didn't even know they were going back to the boat, you know? They were, like, clearly this is the direction. Our boat back to the boat, and then we have two boats. And we win. <laughs> not, not how this works, James. James, I feel like you don't understand the situation right now. <laughs> so, like, lots of the food had probably already spoiled, as we said, with right. the, like, tin can situation. So they didn't have as much as they thought they had, like, to start with. And the right. food that they did have was, like, literally slowly poisoning them. Right. Um, <laughs> so ultimately... And also not giving them the nutrients they needed to, like, right, like stave off scurvy. <laughs> right, like 100%. This is great. Sure. This is a really good Bermuda Triangle of death. I'm, I'm enjoying this. Yeah. So probably, ultimately, like, they probably all starved to death in terrible pain and confusion. Like, poisoned and scurvy-ridden and just, like, wasting away, you know? At that point, I feel like exposure is your best option. (laughs) Well, I mean, luckily or perhaps unluckily for them, it's like the end of April by the time they set out. So, like, it's the summer. And I'm sure it still gets cold enough in the nighttime, maybe, to kill you of exposure. But, like, your chances of dying exposure, I feel, are not fantastic at that time of year. But maybe. I'm not sure. See, in my mind, that sucks. (laughs) Because, like... (laughs) I don't know. Falling asleep from hypothermia sounds preferable to all of this nonsense. Oh, for sure. For sure. The, like, the last interesting thing that, like, I think is uh, also part of the interesting mystery about them is that in the last couple of years, they've actually found, finally, the two ships. So they found... Erebus, they identified it in 2014, in Queen Maud Gulf, which is, like, south and west of King William Island. And the Inuit accounts from the time say that there was a ship there with bodies on board, right? We talked about the bodies on board the ship. Um, And (laughs) fresh footprints, apparently, is what it said. But, like, didn't see any living people on this ship. Now, I don't know. Like, what do fresh footprints mean? Like, how could those have been left from when the ships were abandoned? Was there someone still on the ship at that point? Like, 
or recently when the Inuit saw them. I don't know. How the, how did the ship get there? Because, like, yeah, that's it, not where it was frozen in. You it know? was frozen in, and then it's possible it, it drifted. You know, like, it's possible there right. were some people who were super sick and couldn't abandon the ship. And so they were like, yeah. you bitches are on your own. Um, <laughs> and so some of them survived badly until the thaw. <laughs> and then once they, like, yeah. hit land, they were like, freedom! And then just, like, dropped dead <laughs> over there somewhere. Or it's possible the sea ice, like, they drifted in the sea ice. They never thawed out, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The sea ice could also have drifted that far, I guess. Um, so yeah, like, was the ship sailed there? Like, maybe some of them went back to the ship and, like, the ice did thaw and they sailed, you know, that far before they all died? Or, like, it drifted there in the ice or after the thaw or, like, I don't know. There there are still lots of questions about Yeah, it. and fresh footprints um, could also be, I don't know, other Inuits who wandered up to this weird curiosity and were like, huh, right, and then wandered off. Right. Like, and, like... Fresh is a very, let's say, nebulous oh. <laughs> term. <Yes>. Like, <laughs> it's not like anything is going to be disturbing those footprints, you know? So, like, they could have been footprints. left. Right. Right. It could have been left by the guys who abandoned ship, you know? Like, I don't know. It all seems... People, you read this and people are like, oh, well, that means that, like, they see, they did go back to the ship and, like, they sailed it this far before they all died. But, like, I'm that sounds very, very unlikely to me, personally, anyway. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of... There's a lot of things that that could mean. Right. Exactly. Um, also, terror was also be, I found. mean, you're talking to the one guy who can, like, communicate with you right like they <laughs> right, don't all speak fair English. enough so you're gonna bring like the <laughs> yeah. one guy who can communicate yeah and like it could totally. have been like larry's footprints and he just didn't notice that larry walked over there <laughs> yeah like, shit i saw some fresh footprints and it's like no it was me daryl that was me daryl that was no okay like you just don't know <laughs> right <laughs> yeah um, terror was also found in 2016 in, <laughs> this was named before this discovery. It was found in Terror Bay. <laughs> nice. It which, yeah, which is on the south side of King William Island. So like also not found where it was supposed to have been abandoned. Did it also drift there? Like, I don't know. I don't know what the ships are doing there. They both of them have now been identified with sonar, but like as far as I'm aware, neither of them have actually been like explored by divers yet. Okay. So, I don't know. Right. I mean, I don't know the technology well enough to know what that could tell. I mean, I guess it could tell them if it like sank and then drifted there, right? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I'm really not sure. It depends on the level of preservation, I suppose, right. honestly. Get your, like, underwater archaeologist friends to, like, sort that. Yeah, I will. I will. I, we have a... Guys, we I have, have some of you. those. So... <laughs> yeah, I don't know if there are plans in the works to, like, go dive these ships. But if there are not, there definitely should be because it would be awesome. You guys, GoFundMe campaign. I'm sure you can find right? some money for it. Totally. It's, like, super sexy research. So... Mm -hmm. Get on that, somebody, please. Because Tell them we they're sent just you, sitting down there. Like, definitely want credit, but don't have any money, so you guys are going to have to sort that out. Right. Good luck with that. But, like, definitely let us know how it goes. Right. And, like, 
is Franklin's body still on one of those ships? Because he died while they were on the ship. What happened to him? There's no, like, marked grave that has ever been found. So. But the only marked graves they found were, like, the first three guys. And then they were like, right. fuck this. Right. I mean, then they're on the ships. And, like, once more people start dying, like, I don't know what they did with them. Unclear. Not frozen <laughs> seat? Like, just dig a hole, like, cut a hole in the ice them. and just, like, shove them in, we'll maybe? shoot a la Sweeney Todd. <laughs> Possible. Or just, like, <laughs> I mean, it's, like, really cold. So, like, stick them in the ice somewhere. Like, put them out in the ice and, like, they can just stay there for a while. Or... God, you look over the edge I of put the boat them, and like, just a pile of your friends. <laughs> Aww. I don't know. You can, like cover them up but We're like oh waiting or like the ice to freeze <laughs> <laughs> oh. put them down in the hold somewhere yeah. i don't know i don't know what you do with them i'm not sure they didn't say in the one note they left us that's the other thing that i find crazy about the note like why surely there is another piece of paper on board the ships that you can write the second note on right yeah. like why do you have to get like retrieve the first note and scribble it in the margins of that like even the, is there something written on the back of the second note already like you can't turn it over even like none of this makes any sense to me they just put the wrong guy in charge of it <laughs> again poor confused meth addled james they're like james go write a note and explain what happened it's like okay okay people super dead back leaving now yes uh, so yeah i don't know i mean it's not like it's maybe not as exciting as a murder mystery because like we can reconstruct a lot of what happened but i still have a lot of questions no it's and it's interesting because it's not you know you don't have like a crime scene you've got like right exactly the wilderness and <laughs> yeah, the Canadian Arctic. <laughs> 130 folk to keep track of. Yeah. And yeah. like, there's no cell phone records to check, and there's no, <laughs> you know. Right. Yeah. And so you're trying so, yeah. to guess the moves and motivations of like lead poisoned crazy people <laughs> who are yeah. starving and freezing and probably have TV and, and... scurvy ridden. Yeah. 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 We need. So, yeah, I have a lot of questions that will never be answered because, like, at this point, we're never going to find any documentation, to be honest. Right. So, right. I mean, because even if they went down. <laughs> right. They're and like, found way the too. Like, they're <laughs> yeah. waterlogged. So, yeah. And, like, what happened to all the logs of the ships? Like, you left them on the ship. You didn't take, like, you took literally everything else off that ship. So, like, where are the logs? I assume you also took those with you. What happened to them? You know, why aren't they in one of the lifeboats or something? I'm sure they were somewhere at some point. Um, yeah. I don't know. You were shedding shit as fast as you possibly could. Books are heavy. <laughs> so, and they're not ones right. you're going to like read as a bedtime I'm, story. Yeah, I'm not taking the logs with me, but I'm also not taking slippers and curtain rods with me. So like... <laughs> Right. You know? Well, you don't know what boat those ended up with and with which, you know, I mean, like. Right. Right. I. I it's. 
it's possible they left them on the ship if they left people on the ship. That makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah. Because much... God. I was just about to make a Lord of the Rings reference, and I absolutely can't. <laughs> um, but, like, the logs would stay with the ship, so as long as there were people to continue Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Those, yeah, totally. That makes sense. So if they left people there, yeah, sure. If they didn't, sure. I imagine they would have taken them with them and then just at some point burned them for warmth or... <laughs> threw them yeah. overboard or whatever you know it was just like ah, I yeah can't. yeah like we ran yeah, out of yeah. pencils four months ago know. so like <laughs> fuck it why are we carrying these around still yeah james crazy james just keeps making doodles of chewing my head off i think he wants to eat me <laughs> he definitely does because yeah. he hasn't eaten in like months <laughs> and he's got a lot of really good ideas <laughs> So yeah, that's that's the story of the Franklin expedition, and that is fascinating and sad and horrifying all at once, which I feel is Indeed. kind of generally our par for the factor. course for yeah. polar exploration for sure, and, and for yes, this podcast, frankly. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so like very on message there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so thanks guys for listening and we will be back in two weeks. In the meantime, you can always find us on Twitter at in the end podcast, or you can email us at in the end podcast at gmail.com with comments, questions, suggestions, whatever you like. And we will be back. Thanks. Thanks. And <laughs> sorry, everything okay? No, <laughs> everything is falling everywhere, and I somehow got tangled in all of my cords and ripped a whole bunch of stuff out, and stuff is falling. So give me like two seconds to okay uh, figure yeah. out my life here because it went off track real fast and I don't know how. <laughs> as soon as I stopped lounging, things took a turn. Hmm. See, you should just continue lounging. I couldn't. My back hurt. Don't judge me. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs>